more. Glorious day, fellow traveler. Welcome to Science and God with Dr. G. That's me, Dr. Michael Gillen, physicist, astronomer, mathematician, and Christian. That's right. Living, breathing evidence that science and Christianity are not mortal enemies, but good friends. Actually, an awesome power couple. God is more than a mathematician. You know, ever since I was a kid, I always loved math. I still do. There's just something magical and beautiful about it. And I'm not the only one who thinks so. Paul Adrian Maurice Dirac was a co-founder of quantum mechanics. He was one of the greatest scientists of the 20th century. To Dirac, mathematical equations needed to be not just technically accurate, but divinely beautiful. His reasoning went like this. Nature is beautiful, so any equation about nature must be beautiful as well. Simple. That dictum, that religious-like conviction, is now called Dirac's principle of mathematical beauty. So then, you're probably wondering, well, how exactly do we judge an equation's beauty? Great question. Here's how Dirac explained it, quote, This is a quality which cannot be defined any more than beauty in art can be defined, but which people who study mathematics usually have no difficulty in appreciating, end quote. And guess what? I agree with Dirac. After years of doing mathematics, I just know an equation is beautiful when I see it, and it's amazing. It's a great, great feeling. Anyway, uh, years ago on his 80th birthday, I had the chance to interview Dirac. Yeah, I'll never forget it. It was amazing. Among other things, I asked him about his famous 1928 Dirac equation. It combined relativity and quantum mechanics to describe the behavior of electrons, and electrons are really important. In Dirac's eyes, it was a beautiful equation, and lots of his colleagues agreed. But there was a huge problem. What was the problem? Well, Dirac's beautiful equation predicted something utterly fantastic. Yeah, the existence of an exotic matter that is the opposite of normal matter. In particular, Dirac's beautiful equation predicted the existence of positrons, the antimatter equivalent of electrons. But you have to understand, you know, everybody knows about antimatter these days, but back then, scientists had never heard of such a thing. So naturally, they were skeptical. What does that mean, the opposite of normal matter? You know, some of them thought Dirac had kind of gone over the deep end, he and his equation, that is to say. But guess what? Just four years later, an American scientist at Caltech in Pasadena, California, Carl David Anderson, he hit pay dirt. He discovered positrons. Yeah, it was major headline news. So Dirac was vindicated. His beautiful chicken scratches were vindicated. <laughs> 
Antimatter is real, my friend, as real as ordinary matter. So, as you can imagine, that discovery made Dirac, his equation, and his principle of mathematical beauty world famous. In 1933, he was awarded the Nobel Prize in Physics. It doesn't get bigger than that. So, fast forward to today, it's no wonder that many people today take seriously the claim that mathematics is somehow, you know, clairvoyant, that mathematics has some kind of deep underlying connection to nature, that mathematics is the official language of nature, of God himself. Anyway, it's a mystery that intrigued even Albert Einstein. Here's what he said, quote, How is it possible that mathematics, a product of human thought that is independent of experience, fits so excellently the objects of reality? End quote. The German physicist Eugene Wigner wondered the same thing. Wigner was a mathematical genius. In 1963, he won the Nobel Prize for his stunning ideas about the nature of matter. Yet, when it came to explaining the intimate relationship between the abstract world of mathematics on the one hand and the real world of nature on the other hand, Wigner was stumped. Here's how he put it, quote, The enormous usefulness of mathematics in the natural sciences is something bordering on the mysterious. There is no rational explanation for it. End quote. Wow. Think about what Wigner is saying, my friend. The preferred language of science, science, which is to say mathematics, has a beauty and a power that science can't explain. Put another way, the equations of science are akin to magic. You know, they work, but scientists can't explain how or why they work. Anyway, this, my friend, is a subject I've thought about all my life. Yes. As a kid, I taught myself algebra, geometry, both Euclidean and non-Euclidean, trigonometry, statistics, differential and integral calculus, functional analysis, and much, much more. And I did so long before I learned them in school. That's why I got in trouble in class sometimes. That's a whole nother story. I was bored because what the teacher was teaching us, I had already learned on my own. Anyway, I've also taught mathematics at Cornell and physics and math at Harvard and gotten awards for my teaching. I've also written two best-selling books on mathematics. One, Bridges to Infinity, The Human Side of Mathematics, which got rave reviews, even from the legendary Christopher Lehman Haupt at the New York Times, and he's a tough critic. And two, Five Equations That Changed the World, The Power and Poetry of Mathematics. It was named a book of the year, in fact. Anyway, because of all that, 
I understand very clearly the mystifying bond between mathematics and nature. I get it, yes. But, and this is the main point of today's journey, so please listen carefully. Mathematics is not the language of nature, and certainly not the language of God. Let me give you three big reasons why I say this, okay? Here we go. Reason number one, mathematics is great at describing simplified versions of nature, but not real-life nature itself. For example, a pendulum. You know, it's easy for mathematics to describe the movement of an ideal pendulum, but not a real-life pendulum, you know, like one on a grandfather's clock. Why? Well, because mathematics has trouble dealing with all the subtleties that affect a real-life pendulum, like friction, air currents, and slight variations in temperature, okay? Reason number two, mathematics is great at handling things that are finite, but not things that are infinite. For example, a black hole. It's easy for mathematics to describe what a black hole is, how a black hole forms, and how a black hole behaves. And by the way, the mathematics is genuinely beautiful. It involves Einstein's general theory of relativity and his field equation, to me, is probably the most beautiful equation in all of physics. But again, that's another story. But mathematics has trouble describing the infinite density of a black hole, what we call the black hole's naked singularity. So think of it this way. When you were in elementary school, you learned how to divide numbers, right? You know, one divided by two equals one half. One divided by three equals one third, and so forth. Here's a question for you. What's one divided by zero? Answer, no one knows. <laughs> it's what we call an indeterminate form. It's a kind of infinity. And mathematics has trouble with it. In fact, it goes haywire, okay? Reason number three. Mathematics is great at handling systems that are predictable, but not ones that are fundamentally unpredictable. For example, chaos. Now, in science, the word chaos has a very specific technical meaning. I've explained it in previous journeys, especially journey number 36. So if you haven't heard it, Go ahead and hear it, but here's the headline. We live in a universe chock full of chaotic phenomena. Yes, that's what makes it actually quite interesting. Disturb a chaotic phenomenon by just a little, little bit, and it goes berserk. As a result, you never know how a chaotic system is going to behave from one moment to the next. It's not about friction, or air currents, or temperature variations, or any other real-life complications like I mentioned back when I was talking about the pendulum. No. Chaotic systems are simply jumpy by nature. You know, like someone who's over-caffeinated. 
<laughs> like me, when I was a grad student, I would drink so much coffee, I'd be bouncing off the walls by the, by the afternoon. Anyway, chaotic systems are therefore fundamentally unpredictable, and mathematics has huge problems handling it. Now, the best example of this is Earth's climate. It's a chaotic system, so it's fundamentally unpredictable. Even with the help of supercomputers, mathematics cannot predict how the climate will behave from year to year, never mind from decade to decade. Anyway, so there you have it, my friends, three big reasons why mathematics is not the language of nature, and certainly not the language of God. There's even a whole discipline dedicated to dealing with the shortcomings of mathematics, the shortcomings I've just described. It's called computational science. Computational scientists use supercomputers to find the best possible approximations to nature. Not exactly nature, can't do that, but the best possible approximations to nature, okay? They spend their days and nights writing programs, step-by-step -step algorithms, you know, step-by-step -step instructions or recipes, whatever you want to call them. But they spend their days and nights writing these computer programs that best approximate real-life nature. Can't get it exactly, but they try to get as close as they can, all right? Now, here's the thing. Today, computational science is such a hot discipline that some people are even saying we should just ditch <laughs> mathematical equations altogether and just use computer algorithms instead. One of those rebels is the British physicist Stephen Wolfram. He's an interesting guy. He wrote a fascinating book explaining why scientists ought to use algorithms, not equations, to describe nature. Pretty, pretty bold statement, pretty bold claim, right? Anyway, the title of the book is A New Kind of Science. In case you're interested, I've put a link in my show notes below. All right, look, let me be clear. I'm not saying I agree with Wolfram. What I am saying is this. Mathematics is beautiful. Mathematics is powerful. Mathematics is wondrous. But the truth is, mathematics gives us just a tiny, tiny glimpse of the beauty, power, and wonder of the universe and its creator. As you've just seen, mathematics can explain only the simplified versions of nature, not the real thing. It also can't explain Truly deep and subtle phenomena such as the human mind, consciousness, and God. Subjects that mean a great deal to us humans. In short, mathematics gives us just an inkling of what's really out there. A tantalizing teaser, if you will. For the universe is not just some, you know, mathematical Rube Goldberg-like contraption. No. And its creator is not just some mathematical uber nerd. No. Instead, the universe and its creator are realities far more beautiful, more powerful, more 
wondrous than anything you, I, and our mathematics can possibly calculate or even imagine. Okay, that's it for now. Remember, this podcast is not a lecture series. It's a conversation. So now it's your turn. Comments, questions, I'm eager to hear from you. There's all kinds of ways you can connect up with me via my social media links in the show notes below. Till next time, I'm still Dr. G saying, I love science, I love God, I also love you, my fellow traveler. Thanks for listening.